Yeah, the wind is just the sort of thing where, I, I mean, you can lean forward uh, a 45 degree angle and it'll hold you up. And, and it is at times hard to, to move forward at all. It's like pushing a, a tackling squad. Welcome to Weathering the Run. No matter how far you're heading out to run, no matter the location or time of day you're out there, there's one thing you always have to deal with, and that's the weather. I'm Andrew Buckmichael, a meteorologist, and I love running. Sometimes the weather's perfect and you just want to keep going on forever. But other times, Mother Nature may take a turn for the worse and you're left to the elements. That's what we're here to do. Hear stories of the craziest weather some runners have experienced and what they may change if given a rerun. So lace up your shoes as we go along with them, weathering the run. Well, the longer you're outside, the better chances you're going to endure some crazy weather. Some runners choose tough challenges to put them in the elements for days on end. And I am extremely honored today to chat with one of those runners, a runner who takes on some of the most extreme races and FKTs. And if you follow the ultra running community, then you already know his name and his accomplishments. John Kelly, welcoming to Weathering the Run. Thanks very much. Uh, excited to be here. This is a uh, definitely one of the, the interesting elements uh, of some of the challenges I've done. Yeah, I listened to a couple of the uh, podcast episodes that you did following Barkley this year, and weather came up, and every time it was just kind of briefly touched on how the weather this year seemed to cooperate really well. So I'm excited to talk about some of the other events that you've done, your FKTs when you were over in England, because... I mean, I was watching and following along, and it looked like some pretty gnarly conditions you had to deal with. Yeah, uh, there there were uh, some some pretty big storms uh, for a lot of those, and and definitely learned a lot from them. Uh, and you know, sometimes you go out there and it's it's a beautiful day, and and sometimes you you've got to you've got to battle through it. Right. Uh, so give us a little bit of an introduction. I know that you your first Barkley was back in 2015. How did you really get into running before that? What was your kind of story leading up to that? Uh, so I I ran growing up. I did cross country and track in high school. I was uh, a decent uh, athlete. I was never great, never going to get a, a D1 scholarship or, or of any sort. Uh, and so I, I took about a decade off uh, during... Uh, undergrad and grad school did the the intramural sports circuit and and I'd always wanted to see what I could do at longer distances. So uh, as I was finishing up grad school, I signed up for the Marine Corps Marathon, and uh, that was about a decade ago. And things have just uh, kind of snowballed since then. And you've uh, grew up in Tennessee, right outside where uh, right outside of Frozen Head State Park there. And you recently just got back from the UK. How long were you over there for? A bit over three years. Okay. And what was uh, what was the big kind of overarching differences in weather between here and there? It's so. So the biggest thing that that I dealt with there in the mountains was was the the wet. Uh, just wet everywhere, wet underfoot, wet overhead. Uh, it's it's pretty unavoidable. Uh, and so doing a lot of these things where, uh, you know, I, I was doing FKTs and other events that, that took five plus days. And, and people would say, well, 
why didn't you choose a better weather window? And you you can't. Like there's there's not five straight days where the weather is good, and you can't forecast the mountain weather more than five days in advance. Like when I got started on some of these things, if I had no idea what the weather was going to be like uh, d- during the end. A great example of of one of those was. Uh, my, my grand round, where uh, on the uh, final day, I was still on pace, and, and then I just got drilled uh, by a named windstorm in the Scottish Highlands, and it it absolutely wrecked me. I, I kept on and, and finished, but uh, definitely a, a good bit slower than, than I planned for. Just like torrential rains, wind as well, I'm assuming? Yeah, the wind is just the sort of thing where, I mean, you can lean forward a 45-degree angle and it'll hold you up. And it is, at times, hard to to move forward at all. It's like pushing a a tackling sled. And you you put your shoulder down and you put all your weight into it and you drive forward. And and sometimes it it takes that just to to move forward uh, on the terrain. It, It can... Uh, get extremely nasty up top, and and it can change uh, quickly. Is that I mean that's probably the biggest thing. Is is not you can prepare for extreme weather, but volatile weather, and, and that's the biggest difficulty in the mountains. You is how unpredictable it is, and so you might go out thinking that it's one thing, and you get hit by something completely different, and and that's where things get not only difficult but but dangerous. And you kind of talked about that when I heard one of the Barkley podcast episodes when you were talking about, you know, I'm not going to worry about the weather four or five days out. I mean, you might keep an eye on it. But for you, when you do some of these uh, fastest known times or some of these races, what is the window that you really kind of hone in on the forecast and kind of critique what you plan on doing for race strategy? Uh, it's it's really Maybe the the day or two uh, before an event, and, and that's especially true if I have a, a support crew to kind of go over some of the most likely situations. But when I'm uh, a week out, uh, I'm really I'm prepping for anything. I'm, I'm getting all my gear together for whatever is feasible at all <laughs> at that time of year at that location. You know, of course, if I went and ran bad water or something i'm I'm not gonna pack my snow gear uh there, there are reasonable limits uh but some of the you know barkley some of the things that i've done in the uk you you really don't know uh, i mean you could be out there and it's snowing and sleeting uh or you could be baking in afternoon sun in in shorts and a t-shirt so I'm i'm getting all of that gear together and then the day or two before, I might start separating some of that gear into, I'll have a, a bag set aside that is, you know, here's my emergency. I really, really don't think I'll need this gear, but just in case, here it is. What would be your ideal running weather? If you're just looking to get out, go for a run, and just nice, easy run, what would you pick? Depends a bit on the distance. Uh, you know, just for a, a normal uh, training run, 40s and 50s and clear are are great. Um, If I'm out in the mountains for a longer period of time, uh, I'm probably not moving as fast. Uh, Your body can start to kind of lose the ability to regulate its own temperature over, you know, periods of multiple days. So for something like that, I'd I'd probably uh, up that a bit and, and say 
50s to, to low 60s uh, for that sort of thing. What about your least favorite type of weather? Uh, wet and, and freezing. Uh, it's, well, and, and, and windy. Th- those are kind of the, the trifecta for me is uh, cold, wet, and windy. I can deal with any one of those easy enough. Uh, two, most of the time. Uh, three, I've I've definitely had to deal with that. But when you're when you're cold and you're wet, and it's windy, that that is uh, that that's rough. Uh, and and especially if you're out there for a long time, I mean, there's there's almost no way uh, to to stay dry in those conditions uh, for that length of time. I mean, even if you're wearing full Gore-Tex, it's eventually going to, to seep through that. So with all the different events that you've done or whatever, are there a couple of them that stick out as some of just the worst elements that you've had to endure? Uh, purely objectively, uh, I'd say for sure the spine. Uh, it's going 268 miles up the Penine Way in uh, England in early to mid January, and so you're looking at you know seven or eight hours of daylight per day, uh, uh, boggy and wet underfoot the entire time. I mean, people ask me how how do you keep your feet dry on the spine, and the answer is you don't. Like again, you can be wearing Gore-Tex shoes, and your feet are going. I mean, anything short of you know the full-on big waders that people wear for trout fishing like you're you're not going to stay dry uh you can wear gore-tex shoes you can wear gore-tex socks uh those are going to provide a bit of a a a wetsuit effect on your feet it's going to help keep them warm but you're you're going to get wet and then to top that off when i did the spine also got hit by a named windstorm uh, and so that was that was pretty unreal uh, when that arrived, and just getting buffeted with gale force winds, uh, laced with tiny spiky little bits of ice uh, was that 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 was a new experience for me. Fortunately, it was. Uh, not long before I, I hit a, a bit of a support point, and, and so I was kind of able to uh, absorb the initial shock of it, get inside briefly, and uh, regroup before I headed back out again. And you're a data scientist. I mean, do you kind of do you like the aspect of kind of dealing with the unknown with some of these? Because it seems like you always have some really unique weather situations in a lot of the races that you've done. It's another variable. And, you know, I, I look at variables as opportunities for an advantage. Uh, the, the more things that are out there that I can try to, to optimize and, and use and, and leverage to my benefit, uh, the, the better of a position that puts me in. Uh, you know, objectively speaking, no one is going to, to run faster in terrible weather than in calm, perfect temperature blue skies but uh relatively speaking for many of these challenges that's that's part of it and if i can overcome that and and minimize its effect on me then then that's an advantage with some of the wet conditions that you ran in i mean what is what's your typical protocol to keep your feet uh from getting into trench foot or other issues like that for you 
Uh, so I, I've been fortunate and and not had to deal with much of that uh, myself. I, I don't know if that's uh, my my footwear, uh, my something just building up my feet uh, over time, or if, if there's a genetic component to that. But I, I've never really had any sort of bad trench foot, uh, even with having wetness over these uh, long events. I think part of what has helped with that is actually the combo. Uh, you know, I, I said that wet and cold are, are tough, and they are um, in general, but for your feet, uh, I would definitely take wet and a bit cold o- over wet and hot. It's, it's when you get wet and hot and steep uh, those are kind of the three strikes for ending up with horrible blisters and just absolutely ruined feet. And, and that's happened to me before, for sure. With all the different, I mean, going over there to the UK and back over here, because you've got like 10 FKTs and I was going through some of your ultra signup results. Uh, what are some of the biggest things that you've learned with having to deal with variable weather? Because I mean, some of the events you're doing five plus days and you mentioned kind of the wet conditions, but I mean, you're kind of rolling with the punches for days on end. How do you mentally get through that? Yeah, you've, you've got to be able to adapt. Uh, you, you've got to have a plan in place for what you're going to do uh, with any of the possible conditions out there. Uh, it, it, and again, that, that includes even ones that, that might seem far-fetched fetched that that might seem improbable just having something in place to where you know if that does happen here's what i'm going to do here's what i'm going to wear here's where how i'll handle it and then when it happens you you, you're good you you have that plan in place You're, you're not panicking you're not wasting mental energy trying to figure out what you need to do uh you you just do it it's it's automatic and at that point then it's um, it's, it's just part of it. It's, it's just a, a task to, to be done is, is to deal with that. And you mentioned too, mountains change the environment just so dramatically and over a short period of time or distance, do you think living so close to frozen head and how it has those microclimates, do you think that at all plays in a part how you adapt so well? Uh, I think that mentally being used to it. And, and not surprised by these sorts of abrupt changes in weather um, definitely helps. I think that's that's the biggest difficulty is, is mentally, uh, again, not being surprised by it, uh, not being knocked off balance, and, and to just be able to say, this is what it is. Like, it's it's not ideal, but, but this is where I am, and... Uh, the only only way to to deal with it is is to uh, execute my plan and, and keep moving forward. Are there any instances where you would have done something or prepared slightly different? Yeah, there there have definitely been a few times uh, where I've I've been caught out uh, a, a bit under equipped. Uh, you know the, I mean probably the the best example of or the most well known example of that is my first Barkley finish when. I came in wearing a, um, a a grocery bag that I'd fashioned into a poncho and a, uh, a toboggan or a, or a winter hat that was, uh, I think, left up there in the briars uh, by, by one of the uh, prison, one of the inmates that, that was up there uh, clearing brush. 
So, you know, in, in that instance, I, I kind of had the mindset of, I, in order to finish, I need to move fast. And if I move fast enough to finish, then I move fast enough to stay warm. And worst case, you, you know, I know those mountains well enough to where I know all my safe exits really quickly. Uh, that it's, it's not a situation where I was way out in the wilderness and, and couldn't have gotten to safety. Uh, but I definitely wish that I would have, you, you know, the, the lightweight rain jackets, even some legit Gore-Tex rain jackets, they're, they're super lightweight. They don't take up much space at all in a pack. And it, it's kind of one of those things that I've gotten to the point of, you, you know, why not? Like the the risk reward of, of not taking it is just n- not worth it at all. With that, um, talk about the weather this year for Barkley. I mean, it, it's you've run the race. How many times now have you run Barkley? Six. Six times. Was would you characterize this as probably the best weather setup that you've had? Yeah, I think so. Uh, my first year was was pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I don't remember all the details of that, but that first year was one of the years where, uh, it, we did, you know, there was one loop where all the water was frozen and then the next loop we were scorching in the afternoon sun. So again, we had that, that volatility, uh, it, but it wasn't wet or extremely foggy or some of the other conditions that, that I've encountered this year. Uh, we, we had no precipitation, uh, which usually means no fog. Uh, so, we, so we had none of those, which are uh, two of the, the worst things at Barclay, uh, both in, in terms of, of staying comfortable um, and uh, dealing with steep, muddy slopes. It did get pretty cold, uh, especially in the first night, and so that's, that's not ideal. Uh, there, there were definitely some times, especially I remember up at the fire tower after finding one of the few jugs that wasn't completely frozen, uh, you know, essentially chugging a bit of that ice water and then putting more of it in these flasks that were held right up against my chest, uh, in in my pack. And then also add that to being one of the highest windiest points on the course uh, I, I definitely uh, got cold started to shiver a bit had to, to put on uh, my my down mid layer which I carried around for that entire loop and that's the only time I put it on but again I, I've kind of learned the hard way to uh, it's it's better to, to have some of those things w- when you need them so the cold weather you know you have to carry more gear that does slow you down uh, it makes it more difficult to use your fingers, get food, get the pages out of the book. Uh, so that's that's not perfect. But if you compare that to what I've had in the past with uh, the, the rain and, and fog, uh, I, I definitely take the, the cold any day. Well, I mean, growing up there, how often was it foggy? Was it foggy more often than not? Yeah, uh, I mean, I don't know if I'd say more often than not, but you, you'd very often, especially that time of year. Uh, you, you know, I look out the, the window at my house and look up at chimney top and it'd be just shrouded in, in fog half the time. Uh, and so that is, uh, I would say a very usual and, and common weather pattern. And, and when you get that, uh, it's, 
uh, I mean, you, you can hardly see your your hand in front of your face, especially if you're up there at night and, and trying to use a headlamp at the same time. So for weathering the run, I mean, not just weather in the atmosphere, but I mean, just mentally, I heard earlier you made this really interesting comment how there's internal motivation, sometimes external motivation, and you'll even get that external motivation causing you to get a little bit of internal when you're doing something like Barkley, is that just all, I mean, you really only have an internal drive. You have to want that yourself, right? Yeah. I think that the part of external motivation that, uh, has really benefited me in, in recent years, uh, somewhat at Barkley, but also, uh, especially, uh, some of these longer supported things in the UK I did, uh, the, the type of, of external motivation that, that matters is the kind uh, coming from my support crew. And, and it, it, I kind of think of that as as inside-out uh, external motivation rather than the outside-in that you might get from, you know, kudos on social media or, or whatever. Um, but just thinking, you know, I, I'm out here and dealing with this and enduring this weather uh, as as part of my my personal challenge and my, and my personal goals, uh, these people are out here enduring it to support me. <laughs> and you know, I, I can't just quit. I can't get around, not get around this loop, and just say, "Oh no, I, I didn't feel like it." When when they're out there uh, investing their their own time and their own energy and in, in dealing with those conditions in order to help me. Is there any type of weather that you will not run in? Granted, if it's a race, you don't really have too much of an option, but training runs or anything like that, is there anything you try to avoid? Uh, early on in my ultra running career, I often looked at bad weather, uh, especially bad uh, winter weather, as, as kind of an opportunity. Uh, that you know, Here's something where I can mentally prepare myself, I can test out my gear, I can do all this other stuff that... Uh, is going to to really help me uh, when it comes time to do an event in in these conditions. Recently, it's it's much easier to tell myself, uh, you know, I have that experience. I know what I'm doing. I've dealt with it before. Do I really need to go outside when it's 40 degrees and raining and and windy? Maybe maybe not. Um, but I you know I'm still okay with that. I, I would say that. What I probably enjoy less is are those summer days where you know it's ninety degrees and ninety percent humidity, and it's just uh, yeah. I, I mentioned bad water earlier. I would never do bad water. Um, and when I lived in Washington D.C., which uh, is a swamp and awful in the summer, uh, that's where I started doing some triathlon and and did more uh, biking in the summer instead of running in that sort of heat and humidity. Based off of where you guys are now, is that something that interests you again, getting back into triathlons? Uh, no. I mean, I've kind of, I have my limited time to uh, do the sorts of things and compete in what I'm doing in ultra running, and that's definitely my my passion uh, and what I enjoy more and, and what I'm better at. Uh, I, you know, I, I'd like, I'm 
right next to the Blue Ridge Parkway. I'd love to have time to be able to get back out on my bike some, um, but I, yeah, you, you couldn't hardly force me back into a swimming pool again. Uh, I'm a big gearhead, and it always seems to be one piece of gear can either really make or break the um, day. Is there anything that you've used or would recommend that has really saved you? Uh, so I, I mentioned earlier the the jackets and, and how it's just kind of it's it's almost just nonsensical to to not carry something if there's any possibility of it whatsoever. But also, especially if it's on a training run or something where you're unsupported, uh, get a legit rain jacket. So many uh, ultra-running jackets out there are specifically designed to be as lightweight and small and flimsy as possible to just meet the bare minimum requirements for kit lists like UTMB. Uh, when I look at getting legitimate rain gear for the sorts of runs that I do, I'm, I'm more often than not looking at schemo gear instead of uh, ultra running gear. And so my my main go-to, you know, I'm uh, sponsored by by La Sportiva and and have used their their Odyssey GTX jacket for years. And again, it's it's a lightweight rain jacket, but it's actually Gore-Tex and will actually keep you dry for longer than five minutes. So it's better doing that weight trade off, getting something that's a little bit more beefier for the elements than something minimalist. Yeah, and uh, again, it, it depends a bit on the situation. If, if it is a supported race and there is next to no chance of uh, cold, wet conditions, and if you're getting to a support point or an aid station every few miles, then then sure, well, hey, take take the lightest, smallest stuff possible to to meet the requirements. But if if you're out there on your own. Uh, for extended periods of time and, and the weather's unpredictable, then, then get something that's actually going to protect you. And, and I think that's that's another thing. That's one of my objections to uh, gear requirements at races is people see the required kit list and they think, okay, if I just get everything on this list, then I'm guaranteed to be safe. And, you know, that's that's not the case. Learn learn what's actually needed and and learn what you need to take to to actually uh, keep yourself safe. If you, you know something happens, you you trip, you break your ankle, you're you're stuck out there uh, overnight by yourself, and and a storm rolls in. That's a great piece of advice. I mean, doing a little bit more for everything possible. Whoa, that scared me too. Got a quick lightning delay before we get back to the episode, and this is a great chance to hit that subscribe button, whether it's on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or your favorite podcasting app, and that way you're notified when a new episode of Weathering the Run comes out, which is every other Wednesday morning. And maybe you know someone that this story could relate to. Share it with them. Maybe you got a great story yourself. Let me know about it. Weatheringtherun at gmail.com. Right now, back to the episode. Uh, do you have any other races coming up in the near future? Uh, probably going to do some some FKTs this summer, still in the very early tentative uh, planning process of that. The the next big race that I have is uh, Tour de Giant in September. So it's it's a race that I I absolutely love the course. It's a 
beautiful area, uh, incredible experience. But I, I have done it twice um, while living in in the UK, and I have not had runs that I'm I'm proud of either time. Uh, the, the second one in particular ended up uh, rather disastrous with a DNF just 50 miles in. So looking to uh, get back to that and um, hopefully get a, a good performance this time. And, and that one is one where that time of year you can, things can get hot. Uh, and that was a bit of my problem last time. Or you can uh, be be dealing with snow in the Alps at that point. And that goes on. I mean, that's that's a long race too. I mean, it's days on end as well, correct? Yeah. Uh, so it's it's 205 mile loop uh, on the the, Al- the Altavia One and Altavia Two trails that circle the Ayasta Valley. Uh, they're just south of Mont Blanc on the the Italian side. So kind of just it, it overlaps a little bit with the UTMB course. Um, but yeah, I think the the times range anywhere from like 70 to 140 something hours on on that race. You obviously know Laz pretty well and you have better it feels like you have better sleep deprivation um uh, protocol than most other people. Has the backyard ultra style race interested you at all? Cuz I feel like you would thrive in that with the uh, lack of sleep. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, it's a matter, though, of, of fitting that into the schedule, and especially now fitting not only that, but also a qualifying race into the schedule, uh, whereas Laz has, has been pretty strict about requiring the, the qualifiers there. And it's uh, both of those, the race itself and the qualifier, that's something that takes a big, uh, dedicated time window for the training and the recovery from that. And I'm not sure if I'm at the point yet uh, where I I want to dedicate uh, that big of a, you know, basically I, I do typically three big things per year. And so that would be two of them. And I don't know that I, I want to give up two thirds of my year for that yet. But uh, at some point, uh, I think that's one of those things that I, I've got to, quite a while to go before while that where i can still uh compete in that uh and and who knows i mean Laz, lavsky's uh automatic entry to the bigs winner uh into to barclay uh, maybe i can press him to to give give automatic bigs entry to to barclay finishers i think that's a good that's a good trade-off there you should ask him about that you don't think he would do it I, I don't know. I, I did ask him. Uh, I, I didn't propose that specifically, but when I asked him about Biggs before, he he's uh, very strict on the the required in the qualifier. Uh, so one final question here: If you had to pick out three different characteristics of a trail or conditions out there to run in, just whatever you would pick, three of those, what would you pick? Uh, mountains, for sure. Uh, I would say wild. Uh, I love getting out there and just feeling like I'm I'm actually out there and, and kind of in a remote, untouched, uh, undisturbed area. Um, you know, I, I love not being able to check my work emails or 
get pinged by notifications of, of any sort. Uh, and it, you know, it, it, it'd be nice to have good weather. I, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to shy away from bad weather, but it's always great when you have one of those, uh, just perfect, clear and, and pleasant days out there. And you mentioned you're sponsored by La Sportiva. Any other sponsors you'd like to plug or social media accounts? Uh, Ultimate Direction is, is my other, uh, main sponsor. Uh, and so that, that's, that's been pretty big with dealing with uh the spine and and a lot of these other events with um inclement weather uh exoskin has provided a lot of the base layers uh that maybe that has helped me avoid trench foot and, and some of these other issues um but all of my uh all of the companies i work with all of my social media accounts uh those are all linked to from my blog uh, randomforestrunner.com. And that's a great blog. I love when you have the updates on there and just the recaps afterwards. It's, I mean, there's a ton of information for anybody that wants to go down that your race recaps and everything. You, you do a great job recapping all of that stuff. Thank you. Yeah. I haven't been able to post on it as, as much as I would like, uh, the, the past couple of years, but, uh, there's, there's a good, uh, good amount of, uh, archive and, and reference info there, and I'll, I'll still be putting uh, race reports up there at, at least. Barkley will go up there uh, eventually. I get that. I got kids too. You got to. Dad always comes first. Yeah. Yep. Cool. Well, John, I'll let you go. Thank you very much for joining us today. Yeah. Thanks very much. Enjoyed it. And again, a huge thank you to John Kelly for coming on to the episode. He's got some phenomenal records that he's broken with his fastest known times, FKTs, and the Barkley Marathons. If you don't know about those yet, watch some of the documentaries on Netflix or YouTube. Huge thank you to everyone that's left a review so far for Weathering the Run podcast. And if you haven't done so yet, if you could spare 60 seconds to do it, it's been super helpful to get this up and started. I got another great episode on the way for you guys. See you next time.